Uh, well, good evening. Would you please take up your Bibles again and turn back to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we're carrying on our series uh, through 1 Thessalonians. And before I preach these words, uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Father, we praise you for these words of scripture that take us to Christ and we pray, please help us now, help us to to know you more, to hear your words, to respond in, uh, in repentance and faith for the glory of Christ. Amen. Now, about, about ten years ago now, I remember hearing a church minister uh, saying he had actually warned his kids that he expected to be put in prison during his lifetime um, for proclaiming the gospel. And that's quite a stark thing uh, to tell your kids, um, and it, it hasn't yet happened to him. At the moment, our society hasn't clamped down on uh, things to that extent, has it? But, but suffering for the gospel is real in our country, isn't it? Uh, there have been street preachers, like the one actually who, who was preaching at Southgate Tube Station, not far from where I went to college, who, who was arrested um, um, for the breach of peace and then later released uh, without charge. And although not the, the martyrdom we see in other countries, people have lost their jobs, people do face criticism and ridicule. And, and in the face of ongoing pressure and perhaps increasing pressure from our society, it begs the question, well, how will ministry keep going? When, when pressure comes, actually, what's going to happen to Trinity? What will happen to the UK church? You know, are we just going to fade away? Are we just on a slow train, in a sense, to nowhere? Or perhaps a, a slow train to a cliff edge? Because when the pressure's on, you know, things can tend to fizzle out, can't they? Like the air out of a, a balloon. When this passage of 1 Thessalonians, God is showing us he's got a plan. Uh, we praise him for it. He's, he's showing us the essentials of what keeps the show on the road. What keeps the church going. Because the Thessalonian church was born in suffering. If you remember last week, if you were here, Paul had, had given thanks for God's work in their lives. Um, and within that, he had mentioned how he and Silvanus had come to them. And now he goes into more detail of what that was actually like. And it's all in the midst of suffering. Um, Paul had been suffering before he got to them. We see that in chapter 2, verse 2. They'd suffered, uh, be treated shamefully at uh, Philippi. And then in Thessalonica, right from the start, if you remember when we read Acts last week as well, right from the start, leaders had rallied against Paul and Silvanus. Jews had forced them out of the, the city. And even also from verse 14, near the end of our passage, uh, it looks as if that suffering has continued. Um, they're, they're facing um, persecution from their own countrymen. So in the light of that suffering, like we've just talked about, the Thessalonians may have been wondering, well, what's going to happen? Will it all fade? So Paul gets to the heart of the matter. He gets to the heart uh, of ministry. And here, what we're going to read is what's essential. Here's God's plan to keep the church going. And he looks at two things. He looks at the messenger and he looks at the hearer. 
And in uh, so doing, gives us two marks of gospel ministry in the midst of this suffering. So firstly, God has bold messengers. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12. God has bold messengers. Uh, Let me read verses 1 and 2 again of chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What's Paul's focus? Although they had suffered, although they're in the midst of much conflict, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Boldness, boldness to declare the gospel. God had ministers who are willing to put their head above the parapet about Jesus. Even when uh, the world is against them, when their lives are in danger, they speak up. Paul says it again in verse 4, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So we speak. The gospel came to Thessalonica all those years ago because God has bold messengers. The the church will continue to grow because God has bold messengers. But it's not just boldness that's essential here. Paul wants wants to show them how he was bold. And at its essence in these verses is integrity. God has bold messengers with integrity. Their whole life and their whole ministry, it matches up. And Paul shows us three areas of how he had integrity. Integrity in the word, integrity in motive, and integrity in love. Firstly, in word, verse 3. For our, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul kept speaking the gospel. Why? Because it was true. It wasn't made up. It didn't, it didn't spring from some immoral bent. It wasn't just a lie that he wanted to deceive people with. And if it, if it had been, there would have been no way he'd have kept going. When the pressure comes, someone who knows they're saying a lie will often admit defeat and give up, won't they? You know, just think of a, a, a kid in school. They, they start spreading a lie about a teacher It's fun, you know, people love the gossip about it, the cool kids in the year above start, you know, giving him a bit of street cred and people come up to him and are like, you sure it's true? And he's like, of course it is, why would I lie? You know, and he sticks to his story. But then the gossip reaches the staff room, the head teacher gets a whiff of it and he starts to seek out its root, you know, and suddenly... The kid, standing in the head teacher's office, terrified of being expelled, you know, talks a little bit differently. Suddenly that the lie starts to fade, he becomes a bit vaguer, eventually doesn't really know any anymore. Under pressure, people don't stand behind something they know to be a lie. But that's why Paul did keep going. This was true. There was no way he was going to back down. He was bold because of his integrity in word. Secondly, he was bold because his integrity in motive. Have a look at the middle of uh, verse 4 to verse 6. So, so we speak, he says, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. 
though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul has a heart for God. He was all about him. He was all about pleasing God. He, he wasn't about pleasing the Thessalonians or getting glory from people or even a personal gain. His motivation, his reasons for proclaiming Christ sprung from a heart sold out for God. No wonder there's boldness. You know, doing, doing something for God brings with, its own, with it its own pleasure, its own motivation, its own rewards. You know, when we do something for someone we love, um, it, it keeps going, doesn't it? You know, like if, if you're making a, a present for a close member of your family, you know, like creating a photo album for your mum or something, it, it takes time. You know, you're, you're up late in the night putting photos together, making it all look good. And even though you're tired, even though it takes time, it's for your mum. It feels, it feels worth it. It springs from a love for her. And as our hearts become more and more in love with our Heavenly Father, so we live to please Him, not to earn His love, but because we love to do it. And for Paul, that kept him going. He had integrity in his motive. And thirdly, in love. Paul has a, a glorious love for the church. In verses 7 to 12, he goes into this, this great affection for them. It's a beautiful passage. And it uses two, if you notice, parenting metaphors to show his care for them. Verse 7, he's like a, a nursing mother. You know, that, that deep care a mother shows for, his, for her newborn, keeping it alive, gently resting its, its wobbling head, giving literally of herself to keep that small life going. Paul has a deep care, a deep love for his church. He, he not only shares the gospel with them, he shares his life with them. He gives of himself. He spends time with them. He works hard when he's not with them, making sure he, he doesn't need their money. So that when he's with them, he just gives himself to them. They're not a project, but real people. He was close to them. He knew them. He had an appropriate intimacy with those loved by God. So he's like a mother, but secondly, he's like a father. Judge that righteous in his conduct, first of teaching them fully, exhorting, encouraging, charging them. You know, he hasn't been neglectful. No, you know, a good father, doesn't he? he tells his, uh, his kids about the danger of traffic. He, he tells them not to put their finger in a plug hole or, or to test how sharp a knife is by licking it. You know, a, a good father helps his kids be kind to others um, or, or doesn't let them do whatever they want, like watching the TV or day on uh, and night. A good father gives of himself by bringing up a child in righteousness. Paul loves these Thessalonians. And that drives his boldness. As suffering comes, he doesn't shrink back. But love drives his teaching and his care. God has bold messengers, emboldened uh, by integrity, in word, in motive, and love. What a, this is an amazing picture, isn't it, of gospel ministry, of good Christian ministry. God's church growing through godly ministers. And, and this is what's essential. And throughout this passage, you notice Paul says, for you know, it's there in verse 1, for you know, you yourselves know. Uh, and we see it again through the passage. He's reminding them. This isn't new for them. He's saying, look, you, you even know this is essential because you saw it in us. Now perhaps Paul is defending his ministry, but he's definitely showing the church what 
God's ministry looks like, isn't he? he? Paul's not keeping this secret just for the elders, and it's written to the whole church. So, so seek out and pray. Pray for this kind of ministry in your elders. We need a lot of prayer. Please be praying for us. Please be praying for David Gibson, David McLeod, Simon Barker, for Laurie Ferns. Firstly, may we be bold proclaiming this gospel in season and out of season, when people don't want it and when they do. But more than that, pray that, pray that our passion for the gospel would come from an integrity. Elders convicted of the gospel truth, pure in motivation, deeply loving you, the church. Only will we stand firm in suffering if that has been true in our lives. You know, to be preaching this straight after my, my ordination is pretty challenging. You know, I pray my heart, by God's grace, would, would be blameless before him. You know, pray that we'd be able to say what Paul says. And that as an eldership would be people of care, of compassion, nurturing. That we'd love you deeply, willing to share our lives with you. And not just our words. And... If this is essential to ministry, then actually this is also for all of us. Whatever ministry we're involved in, whether you, you minister in a formal capacity, uh, like in Sunday school, like truth or, or student suppers, or, or whether you minister in an informal capacity, like to your family, to your, to your children, to your Christian brother or sister sitting here tonight, or, or at CU, or something like that. As, as Christians, in a sense, all of us do some form of ministry. We all serve and teach and encourage other Christians, just as we, we talk after church, as we're in our home groups. And so if we're to stand firm in suffering in all those different types of ministry, Paul is our example. Now there's much, there's much in here, isn't there, in his example that we could spend time in. Are we bold? Do our, do our words speak truth? How is our love for others? Uh, what about our motivation? Is there an integrity uh, to you and your ministry? Now I reckon we could, we could all say, couldn't we, our conviction of the truth could be deeper our motivation could be more pure, our, our love more fervent. So what is it about Paul that has developed this kind of ministry? I found there's something that stands out in these verses that lies behind his integrity, and it's this. Paul lives his life squarely before God. Verse 2, notice, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Verse 4, Paul was approved by God. God tests their hearts. Verse 5, God is their witness. Verse 8 and 9, again, it's the gospel of God. Verse 10, God is a witness again of them. Verse, verse 12, how are we to live? It's a life worthy of God. It's all before him. He is, he's deeply aware of God's presence, of God's word, of God's righteousness, of God's knowledge and sight. And it, it's, it's as this truth sinks in deeper, it shapes. It shapes Paul's understanding of the gospel. It's true. It shapes his motivation. It's about pleasing him. It, it shapes his love for others. It's about focusing on those that God loves. So I don't know about you, but I think it's amazing how actually quickly we forget God. 
Living before God takes discipline, doesn't it? it God is spirit, he's invisible. He, he's not of this creation, so we don't, we don't see him um, literally as we wake up. We don't see him as we get to work or take our kids to school. And yet, and yet, we gaze at his beautiful world and it screams at us. God is powerful, loving, caring. Yet he, he, he shows us Christ as we open the scriptures, as we read it for ourselves, as we hear it at church. He brings Jesus close to us as we experience baptism and take the Lord's Supper. We witness his love for us through our brothers and sisters. So we need eyes of faith, don't we? Eyes to, to not just see the surface, but to be aware of the invisible God with us. I have a friend who, who loves old buildings. He, he lives in Oxford and has wanted to start a tour of the city called the Look Up Tour. Because you see the best bits of the buildings, if, if rather than looking at your feet uh, or at the doors and shop fronts, you look up. You look at the majesty of the buildings above you. It's, it's about looking rightly. And I think in our lives we can, we can end up just looking at the doors and the shop fronts. Consumed by the immediate, consumed by what's in right in front of us. Rather than seeing more of God, looking up in a sense, acknowledging him in the ordinary, in the everyday. So I think it distractions, I'm amazed how it's distractions that can snatch that moment away from me. Especially my phone. In a, in a quiet moment, rather than saying a thank you to God, rather than dwelling on the gospel as Paul does, rather than reflecting on Christ, rather than knowing God is my witness in all things, rather than thinking about how I please him, pondering what he's taught to me in the morning. I'm into social media. I've put on my headphones. I've switched the radio on. I've opened the paper. And distraction can just rob us from that moment before God. But here we have an example of a man who's developed his, his life before God. And so by God's spirit and his word, he transforms us more and more into his likeness to have an integrity, an integrity of ministry, a wholeness and as we know the deep love for us in Christ, so we live our lives out of love for him, to please him, to love others, and we start to be bold messengers of the gospel. God has bold messengers with integrity. So that's the first point. Don't worry, the second point is a, is a little shorter. Verses um, 13 to 16, Paul turns his attention away from his own ministry to the Thessalonians again, to see how they have received the word. Because the church keeps going in, in suffering because of what God does in those who receive the words. This is essential uh, to real ministry. So secondly, God keeps believers steadfast. God keeps believers steadfast. In, in the face of suffering, Paul wants to show them how true this is. God keeps believers steadfast. He shows them this to encourage them. And in the end, to actually act in a way to keep them steadfast. Because first he wants them to see, um, God is really at work keeping them steadfast. His word is at work. Um, Paul, uh, Silvanus and uh, Timothy, verse uh, 13, they're thankful to God. And we've seen that uh, in chapter 1, wasn't it? There, it was thanks, uh, thanksgiving. And here they are grateful, verse 13, for what? Because you, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
They received God's word as it truly is. Just as Paul knew the message was true, so the Thessalonians do too. To receive God's word shows God is at work. And more than that, they can tell God is at work in them by their endurance, by their steadfastness in the, in the face of suffering. Verse 14, have a look. For, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. You know, right now, this church has faced lots of opposition and yet they're still there. They can look around them and, and see that a, a church God has kept steadfast. You know, as we've seen, in the face of opposition, things should disintegrate, shouldn't they? But not with God. He works powerfully. And not only is Paul showing them that um, it really is God who is keeping them, he reminds them that God's keeping his church in suffering. It's the pattern. It's normal. Normal for the church to suffer and normal in God's power to remain steadfast. We've just read that the churches in Judea um, faced it. But not only them, verse 15, Jesus uh, faced it, as did the prophets. And then lastly in verse 16, the apostles also are being hindered by these Jews. God's beloved son himself faced persecution and so has his church. Paul's saying you're not alone and you're not unusual. It can, it can be really... A real encouragement, can't it, to hear others are facing what you're facing, can't it? Like, like when you're dealing with an illness or a stressful situation, you know, to sit down with someone uh, who's been through something similar or to read someone else's reflections on what's happened to them can be some relief, can't it? It's like, wow, yeah, that's exactly how I'm feeling or, or phew, I thought I was the only one going through this. And, and Paul is, is reaching out to them similarly. We're suffering like you and with you. And you still being a church, having faced all that, what does it show? It shows God is at work. God keeps believers steadfast. As persecution comes, he keeps his church. Jesus stayed firm even to death. The Judean church is still there. And in the end, what do we see? God will vindicate his church. Right at the end of verse 16, but God's wrath has come upon them at last, or, or has come upon them forever. So be encouraged, God is at work. He keeps believers steadfast. Once again, we see from Paul a great confidence in the power of work, power and work of God. You know, verse 13 starts with thanks to God. Later, he has confidence in God, uh, uh, in the work and word of God and also his wrath. Paul is showing us endurance, being in steadfast is essential for Christian ministry. Now, it's not a very exciting word, is it? Steadfast. It sounds a bit boring. We're a culture that loves change. We love the, the, the new stuff. We want excitement. We want flair. We want razzmatazz. But, but at the start of this church's journey, Paul's focus is what? That they keep going. That they're steadfast. Now, as we apply this, we've got to see that two things are going on. Okay? Firstly, Paul is confident in God to keep them going. He's the one doing it. But secondly, it's interesting, Paul is telling them so that they're encouraged to keep going. Those two things don't work separately, but together. God keeps believers steadfast. Um, by us encouraging each other to keep going. 
So firstly, you know, what do we trust actually to keep one another going? To keep believers going? Is it, is it our projects? Is it our plans, our meetings? Or is it God himself? You know, do, do we make as much time for prayer as we do for planning and for meetings? But also, as we trust God, how are we encouraging steadfastness in one another? Do we see that as important? You know, if, if you are young in the faith in Christ, right now, putting down foundations that will keep you going really matters. And do you know just the, 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 the truths of what happened to Jesus, his, his perseverance, the persecution his fa- he faced, his death, uh, but also his, his exaltation as his resurrection. Do you know the story of Acts that we're, we're looking at in the morning? What happened to the early church? You know, let the truth of, of persecution, but also God's steadfast care for his church, work in us deeply. You know, if you're a student, please get along to student suppers after this. You know, this is an issue we're going to be thinking about. We're going to be uh, in the book of 2 Timothy. Which, which thinks about persecution and faithful ministry. But, but also, as part of our ministry, how essential do we think steadfastness is to what God is up to? Is, is that what you pray for people? When you support someone, just chatting to them about their faith, um, is this your aim for them? Do you aim to, to keep them going despite what they're facing? You know, do you thank God when you just see a, a saint persevering, even just with a shred of faith, when things are tough? But to finish, we praise God that he's the one who brings what is essential to the church. We praise God what for his bold messengers, and we praise him for keeping believers steadfast. It's grounded in him. It's the work of the... It's the the work through the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who suffered at the hands of his fellow countrymen, isn't he? He's the one who died, but the one who is vindicated, rose victorious. We praise God the church is in safe hands. Amen.